We begin with this biblical encouragement from Pastor Ed Taylor. This world, if you've noticed, has a flow to it. It has a flow that's driven by pop culture. It's a flow that's driven by music, by media, by people. This world system has a way of doing things that is very contrary to the things of God. And it's one thing to see someone stand for righteousness, how encouraging it is, but it's a very powerful encouragement to be that person, that no matter what's going on in your life, you are standing for righteousness. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's been said that those who don't stand for something will fall for anything. But to stand for what's right may mean you'll have to stand alone. That can be a real challenge. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We continue to make our way through Romans and have come to chapter 11. We'll hear about Elijah who made a stand but not with the right heart. So God patiently brought some much needed correction. Pastor Ed starts off with some critical review and background. Well, in Romans, we learn that anyone can be saved, Jew or Gentile. That the Bible is clear. Everyone is savable, even though everyone is not saved. Everyone's savable, but not everyone's saved. The hinge is faith. It's belief. Those that believe are saved. Those that don't believe are not saved. It's very simple. Now, for the Jew, they're concerned Because God began to work with the Gentiles. The early church made up of primarily Jews receiving their Messiah. Great things are happening. But then the Jews reject Jesus. That was the highlight of their national response to the Messiah. They reject Jesus. They reject him at his birth. They reject him at his death. They rejected him in his resurrection. And God turned his attention to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10 Cornelius is saved, and then the gospel explodes among the Gentile world, even to this day, where the majority of us here are Gentiles, non-Jews. And God is still saving Gentiles today. Now, the Gentiles are very, very excited about that. They're like, wow, I can believe in the Messiah and I can be saved. But the Jews, remember, are like, wait a minute. Something's not right here. And as Paul's writing his letter to the Romans, he's addressing not only the predominant Gentile hearers, but also those that were Jewish listening, those of Israel. And they're upset, specifically at Paul. Now remember, Paul was that man that said, my heart is for my fellow Jew. I'm willing to give up my own salvation to see them saved. And he says that at the beginning of chapter 9. He says that at the beginning of chapter 10. He wants them to know of his great love for them. And yet, he still speaks the truth. And so it is in chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, Paul turns his attention to the Jews in the audience. And he speaks on the nation of Israel in chapter 9, looking at God's dealings with Israel in the past. In chapter 10, looking at God's dealings with Israel in the present. And now as we come to chapter 11, he now looks at God's dealings with Israel in the future. 
showing the integrity of God, that he is a God who keeps his promises. And we pick up in verse 1 of Romans chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So the question is asked, has God really set Israel aside? I mean, is he done with Israel? And Paul uses in the Greek language the absolute strongest words you can possibly use to say no. There aren't stronger words. This is the most forceful way that a person could say no in the Greek language. He says, certainly not. May it never be. God has not cast away Israel, though... Today, you will hear those that say that God is done with Israel. Pulpits across the land today are filled with men and women that say God is done with Israel permanently. That they had their chance, they rejected the Messiah, and now God is dealing with the church. And, they say, all of the promises that were given to Israel have been transferred to the church, and the church has replaced Israel in the eye of God. That is something called replacement theology. The idea that the church has replaced Israel, but the church hasn't replaced Israel. They are two very distinct groups of people. And as you look at promises to Israel, you will find that his work with Israel is not done. Flip over to Ezekiel, would you? Chapter 36, as I ask you to open there. Great chapters in Ezekiel. I would give this to you for homework. Ezekiel chapter 36, 37, 38, and 39. I would say they're good bedtime reading right before you go to bed. Just pop out Ezekiel and begin to read through Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39. They talk about Israel in particular and their restoration in the future. Ezekiel chapter 36, you'll find, talks about the land of Israel and how it will blossom and be fruitful. Now, if you're going to Israel with us on our trip later this year, what you will find is Israel is smack dab in the middle of desert. It's a very deserty, arid place, except that within Israel it has become extremely lush and beautiful and fruitful. Do you know that Israel grows so much fruit that they have become a major exporter of fruit around the world? In the middle of the desert. You'll drive through on the tour bus and you'll see huge groves of banana trees growing in Israel. Imagine banana trees growing in Denver. Can you imagine? I mean, we can't even grow tomatoes in our backyard, let alone bananas. But in Ezekiel 36, God promises that he's going to take that land and it's going to be lush and fruitful and it's happening before our eyes. Now in chapter 37, speaks of the vision that Ezekiel gets of the dry bones. And God explains the dry bones. He says, I'm going to breathe into the dry bones. These dry bones are Israel. And it was in May of 1948 that Israel again was recognized as a nation. That God fulfilling his promise brought about a regathering of the Jews into the land and a nation was once again proclaimed. I challenge you that if you were to look very, very closely, you would have a hard time finding on your map the Moabite nation. You would have a hard time looking in your geography class finding the Canaanite nation. You would not be able to find the Jebusite nation. 
But I'll tell you what, you can find Israel because God keeps his word. Now in Ezekiel 38 and 39, speak of a future of Israel and how there will be an invasion from the north, which we believe would be in that area of Russia, and all sorts of predictions that God will bring to pass in the last days. But I want to draw your attention right to directly to Ezekiel 36. And I want to show you verse 22. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Listen, God's future plan. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Verse 24. And I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. I will then sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then, verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. This is already happening right before our eyes. There is a major regathering into the land of Israel. You know, we support Calvary Chapel in Jerusalem and the humanitarian arm of that fellowship as they are specifically helping the Jews from Russia come back to the land of Israel as God is bringing them back, all the while sharing the gospel, the good news of their Messiah with them. See, God has a future with Israel that is still yet incomplete, that he has taken his attention off of the nation of Israel in their rejection and now is moving among the Gentiles, but he's not done with Israel. Read in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7, that God is going to seal 144,000 Jews in the midst of the great tribulation, along with the two witnesses using them to preach the gospel to their fellow Jew. God is not done with the Jewish nation whatsoever leading all the way up to Revelation chapter 20, where the millennial reign of Jesus Christ will be right there from Jerusalem. And so back in Romans chapter 11, as he says, God has not set Israel aside, certainly not. The question is asked and is very clear. He uses notice as his first piece of evidence himself. In verse 1 again in Romans chapter 11, He says, certainly not, for I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. He says, look at me, I'm saved. I mean, if God was really done with Israel, then why am I saved? And why do I have such a burden for my people? God has saved me. He's given me a burden for my people. God is not done with the nation. Israel, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying... Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. What does the divine response say to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. That remnant, that small group, there are believing Jews today according to to grace. There is a remnant. God has always had a remnant. And the second piece of evidence that 
Paul uses to show that God is not done is the heart of God, the remnant. And he says, I want you to understand Elijah here. Elijah was a man who had prevailing prayer, James tells us. He was a man of prayer. A man who, well, a prophet of God that stood strong in the midst of a very tough, difficult, rebellious, idolatrous nation. A nation that had basically abandoned God. They wanted all the blessings of God. They wanted all the trappings of God. But they had abandoned God. And Elijah was sent by God to stand for truth in the midst of a very, very difficult situation, not unlike our own nation today. Elijah, he challenged these prophets to a spiritual duel and stood alone with God against them on Mount Carmel and prevailed. He was a man who stood for righteousness. And let me tell you, church, it is an encouraging thing, is it not, to see someone stand for righteousness? I mean, when you're watching the news or you're seeing one of those news programs and you find out that a well-known Christian is going to be on it, don't you become a cheerleader in your front room? I mean, aren't you excited? Aren't you ready to say, come on, share the good news right there. You've got an audience of millions upon millions. I mean, I can't help but think of Franklin Graham. When Franklin Graham is on the news, you know exactly what he's going to say. They, they could ask him, well, what do you think about the weather in Denver today? Well, you know, I can't do his voice, so I'm not going to try. But, you know, he has that deep southern voice. And he says, well, you know, the weather in Denver reminds me of the cross of Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's just so good at that. And then they'll go through the answer and they'll try to take him back. You know, how is Operation Christmas Child going? Well, you know, Christmas reminds me of baby Jesus. And he begins to share the gospel knowing full well that he can take any question, answer it with what they're looking for, and then he always takes them to the cross. I mean, he shares the gospel at every opportunity. It is always encouraging to see someone, to see someone stand up for righteousness. And then there'll be those that that represent Christianity in some way. They're at the same interview, and you just shake your head, don't you, when they open their mouth. You're like, what in the world are they interviewing that guy for? He doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. He doesn't even know the basics of the gospel, but he becomes the expert, and it's very discouraging, isn't it? You just go, click, I can't even watch this anymore. I can't take it. Turn this guy off. It is encouraging to see someone stand for righteousness. Let me tell you, friend, it's even more encouraging to be someone that stands for righteousness. It's one thing to see it from a distance. It's a whole other thing in our lives to be that very person. Because we are in a world that is pressing in against us, wanting us to conform to its image This world, if you've noticed, has a flow to it. It has a flow that's driven by pop culture. It's a flow that's driven by music, by media, by people. This world system has a way of doing things that is very contrary to the things of God. And it's one thing to see someone stand for righteousness, how encouraging it is, but it's a very powerful encouragement to be that person, that no matter what's going on in your life, you are standing for righteousness. Okay, so maybe you're in that place where you go, no, and I'm never going to be on the news. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I can really relate to Franklin Graham because I'm never going to be on the news. But listen, you may be one day. You never know what the Lord's going to do in your life. But I'll tell you, what God is looking for is not for you to worry about being on the news and being interviewed, but just simply being faithful right where you're at. Just being a Christian right where you're at. Lovingly and faithfully loving people ministering them, telling them the truth, opening the Word of God with them, giving them a Bible, whatever it might be. 
That when you're faithful with the little things, God will then entrust to you more things, more people, more opportunities. That who knows, perhaps one day there's a story going on in your neighborhood. And they come up to you and put the microphone in your face. And you know, if you haven't been faithful at work, then that microphone may not be there or you may not be ready for it. But if you have been faithful in the little things, then you're ready, aren't you? So what do you think about what's happening on your street today? Oh, it's crazy what's happening on our street. But Jesus told me in his word that there is going to be tough times in this world, but I can be of good. Who knows what you would answer? He said, give me that microphone. Let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) It's good stuff. He says, Elijah, Elijah was a faithful man. And notice the answer. The answer to, well, the answer to Elijah's prayer is he's discouraged Well, before we even get to the answer, I want you to notice, verse 2, that he prayed against Israel. Elijah had made a grave mistake trying to figure out the will of God. And he came to the conclusion that nobody was there to help him. Nobody cared about righteousness like he did. That can be a danger for you, you know. You can be a man that stands, a woman that stands for righteousness, and then you come to that mistake that says, well, I'm the only one standing for righteousness. I'm the only one here. And that's where Elijah is. He feels all alone, and it's a real feeling indeed. However, the divine answer was, Lord, they've killed your prophets, is what Elijah, they're torn on, I'm alone. And the divine response, verse 4, I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, you're wrong. You're not alone. I have 7,000 people in the city that you don't know anything about. You think you're the only one that's standing up for righteousness. You're wrong. I got a lot of people that worship me. I got a lot of people that love me. I got a lot of people that if I was to lead them and inspire them, they'd step up with you too. But right now I'm just working with you individually, Elijah. You're not alone. You're wrong. There are those that, well, there are those that make the same mistake. And they pray against people. Not for people, but against people. That they've come to the conclusion that all hope is lost and everything is done and I'm alone. And so now instead of praying for people, you may find yourself praying against people. Just really caught up in emotion, caught up in frustration, caught up in anger. I find this really, really happens predominantly in those that have experienced a divorce. A divorce that has been very, very painful, that is still pretty much the consequences of it are still ongoing. And it's hurtful and there's no hope of reconciliation and there doesn't seem to be any change in your mate and you're upset and you're hurt and you become bitter and your prayers are now become very, very anti that person. Because after all, the kids are going through this and I'm going through that and it's financially tough here. And what happens is, is that no longer is your heart soft toward the things of the Lord for that person, but now you're praying against them. And you're praying heavy duty. Like, you're praying prayers like, you know, Lord, I just, just break their teeth. That's what I want. Break their teeth. That would hurt them. And then you come and somebody says, you know, you can't pray that way. And you go, wait, 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 wait a minute. It's in the Bible right here, man. I, I see you. David prayed that way. I'm going to pray like David. And so you go through the scriptures to find a way that kind of justify your anger and your hurt. But then, you know, David is a great example. But we don't want to follow everything David did. Wouldn't you agree? There's some times there where David made some horrible, horrible, sinful mistakes that he would not be. You've got to be discerning because the Bible is really cool. It just reveals the reality of people's lives, both good and bad. And just because David prayed for people's teeth to be broken doesn't mean you're okay. Okay, Ed, I pray that their legs get broken. How's that? 
No, 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 no. That's not good either. Elijah here prays against Israel, and I want you to notice that God doesn't answer his prayer the way he would want it. He says, Elijah, you're wrong. And let me tell you the truth. The truth is you're not alone. The truth is I'm not against my people. I love my people. And there's 7,000 people that if I wanted to raise them up, they'd be right there with you, Elijah, but your heart is wrong. I know that type of prayer and that type of attitude is not only reserved for those that have experienced a divorce, but I've just seen that. I've seen that the pain and the hurt of that kind of decision. I mean, for those of you that have experienced a divorce, whether personally or maybe in your family, you know. You know more than anyone. You know the ingredients. You understand very clearly why God says he hates divorce. Indeed, he does. If you are in that place today and you're anticipating that that's a possibility in your life, you need to call us for help. You need to let a pastor sit down and let God rescue your marriage. You don't want to go that way. It's going to be very painful. You want to pray not against, but for, with a soft heart. You go, Ed, why can't do that? I know. I know you can't do that on your own. You need the power of God in your heart, living out in your mind, to have a compassion and a patience that only can come from God. You see, there's a remnant in Israel. There'll always be a remnant of believing Jews in Israel. And Elijah's a great example of that. It was that way in Elijah's time. It's that way now. A remnant of believing Jews. Elijah prays against the people. He's so upset, letting his emotion get the best of him. He begins to pray not for them, but against them. And be careful. But let me give you a flip side of that, too. Do you know, there might be people, unbelievers, people that you don't like, praying against you. I remember not too long ago, there was someone that came up after a service. They were just so caught up and so upset because somebody had put a hex on them. A curse. Like, what am I supposed to do, Ed? Ah, there's a curse on me. There's a hex on me. And I go, you don't need to worry about it. I remember back, way back. I don't remember if I was a believer or not. I don't have the timing. But way back when I was working, I got these two girls. I don't know what I did, but they were so mad at me that they created one of those little voodoo dolls out of me. <laughs> and they brought it in one day and were just saying, look, we did this for you. And they're doing like this. And they're picking it. They're picking it. And then one time, when they picked it in the eye, right when they did it in the eye, I did this. Oh, oh. And they go, oh, it worked. And it didn't work. You don't need to worry about that stuff. <laughs> say, don't worry about that, voodoo doll baloney. Listen, to flip over to Romans chapter 8. Maybe somebody's praying against you and it's bothered you. You're afraid, you're concerned. It could be a believer, an unbeliever. They're just at odds with you. They're wishing the worst on you. Don't worry about it. Listen, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. We looked at this and studied it in depth, but it's so wonderful. It says, what shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that does not to say that people won't be against us and try some weird, goofy things with us, but who can really be against you, church, with God on your side? You are protected and hidden in Him. He is your strength. Amen. He's your strength. He's your hope. He is your strength in your weakness. He's your strength in your shortcomings. He's your strength in your failures. And Elijah, I just want you to notice, was unsuccessful as he prayed against the people of Israel. He was unsuccessful. didn't come to anything except he got rebuked. You ever have that happen to you? You're praying and the Lord rebukes you right in your prayer. He says, no, 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 son. No, daughter, that's not my heart. I hear you and I know your emotion. I know you're feeling it. But God says, I'm not feeling it because I have a heart for those people. 
God knows our struggle, and if need be, will overrule our prayers to line up with His heart. More on this important scripture in Romans chapter 11 and God's heart for His people next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. You can search for that in the App Store or Google Play. Just look for Calvary Aurora. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, but when it comes from another Christian, that can be really hard to handle. A Tale of Three Kings will lead you to God's hope and healing for times like these. You'll be comforted as you read A Tale of Three Kings, too. So order a copy right now by calling us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Then join us next time when we'll pick up where we left off in Romans right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 